The area I talk about today is one that we may think we are familiar with, but I, I believe it's a toxin that, that we don't talk about enough that we, we have to recognize in all of our lives should not and cannot be there. I mean, after all, we've all heard this before, and you can help me out here. Pride goes before what? <laughs> Most misquoted verse in the Bible. It, it, it doesn't go before the fall. In fact, look at this in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit goes before the fall. Tried goes before destruction. I mean, think about that. What a sobering moment that is. What a, what a thought that is, that, that if we are living with the toxin of spiritual pride in our lives, it ultimately leads to destruction, or through God's grace, we're going to talk about that today, leads to a humbling moment where we repent and we give God our, our all. You see, according to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 7, Pride is something that is, it is flagged as a heart issue. It's flagged as something that, that is deep inside of us. It, it separates a person from life and, and the purposes of God and absolutely ruins our relationship with Christ if we live in that moment of spiritual pride. And I know pride is one of those words that, that we struggle with because in our, in our culture, pride is seen as a good thing, right? We're, I mean, next week, come on, you're going to wear stars and stripes, you're going to eat hot dogs, you're going to eat, you know, you're going to do all kinds of stuff, fireworks, the whole thing. And we're going to say we're proud to be Americans, and we should be. We talk about our kids. We're proud of them. We're proud of our church. We use the word very easily, but, but differentiate today in your mind, if you will, a pride in understanding that we are blessed to a pride that puts us in a place where somehow we've been deceived to think that we're our own God, because that's what spiritual pride really is. That we can do it all on our own, that we can somehow eliminate God from our lives and live in our own strength, our own wisdom, and show up on a Sunday and maybe raise a hand and say, thank you, God. Because pride is a heart issue, and the heart is that control center. It's, it's that repository of one's core commitments. It's our, it's our deepest loves, our highest aspirations that control our thinking, our behavior, even our, even our emotions. But Mark says that pride comes there. Jesus was talking to a group of people that were, were upset that his disciples were, were outwardly doing some things that they looked down on, and, they, and he had to speak to them about the reality of what really defiles us, that it wasn't from the outside, it's from the inside. So he said in Mark 7, verse 20, it is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, Lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Pride comes before destruction. It is a vile thing, according to the scripture, that literally comes out of our heart and, and, and just destroys life. Think about it. Pride is the oldest sin in the book. It's what, it's what kicked Adam out of the garden. It's what caused Satan to, to fall from the heavenlies and to be kicked out of the heavenlies. Why? Because something inside of all of us seems to believe that we can do it on our own and that everything in us is, is good enough to somehow be our own God and to live our own life. You know, it's seen we attempt to, to live without limits or to seek control in a, in a place of relationship or exercise power instead of just practicing love. We can be prideful about our faith. We can be prideful about our righteousness. We can be prideful about our works and, and all those things and throw them out here and miss the very point that everything we have, everything we do, everything we accept comes through the grace of God and God alone. Bottom line is this. If we think about what spiritual pride is, it's just simply that. It's trying to be God on our own. And man, it's a good thing that no one here today struggles with pride, isn't it? 
It's really a good thing. I mean, we could just like, oh, pastor, we got that one. It's in the bag. We've got this figured out. Yeah, well, let's talk about it. You see, I think the reason pride is so difficult to the believer in a Western culture is this, is Western culture actually, though the Bible recognizes it as a sin, Western culture promotes it as a virtue. We, we urge it so it's to be profitable and rewarded, and we, we base achievement on things that flow out of a heart of pride, but yet the Bible calls it selfish ambition. What's described in the scripture is a basic sin, the sin of taking things into your own hands, of being your own God or grabbing what is there while you can, is really described as basic wisdom in our culture. Look out for number one. Be all you can be. You've got it. We, we believe in you. All these things we throw out there that literally go counter to the understanding of Scripture. You see, whenever pride leads us in that place where we disregard relationship in the, in the, in the pursuit of ambition, then we're living a very prideful life. If we, we find ourselves taking care of me first and never thinking about the needs of others, then we're living a, a, a prideful life that the Bible says leads to destruction. We also find ourselves many times we, we won't say it out loud we won't we definitely won't sing it but we'll 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 kind of do this we're like god i know you got a lot of things going on so i've got this god this parenting thing i've got it god it's okay you know this church thing yeah we can do that we're talented we got it all all of that speaks to a pride that literally destroys something clouds our souls leads to the fall ultimately you know you think about this before salvation we all live prideful lives that, that's just the nature of, of being born into sin. We live these lives where based on our own wisdom and experience and understandings, we do our best or our worst living uh, in fleshly self-sufficiency that doesn't recognize God as Lord or his word as the, as the final authority. And we live lives that are opposite of the submission to God and opposite of the humility that is exhibited in those that are to be followers of Christ. But when we open our hearts to Jesus, how many remember the day you were saved? When you open your heart to Jesus, all of a sudden our eyes are opened up to something totally different. It's not about self-sufficiency. It's not about, about getting ahead. It's not about dog eat dog. I've got to be number one. We, we recognize this powerful word called grace that, that overwhelms our lives. When we put our trust in Christ. And it opens us up to this different way of living. Well, now we are led by the Spirit and not by our emotions, somebody. We were led by the power of the Holy Spirit and not just our ambition. We, we submit everything to our God and we live by his grace through faith in him. You see, upon salvation, that's where our eyes are open. And we understand grace or we say we do, but sometimes I'm not sure we do. I mean, I can make a statement like this. The only reason I'm allowed to even stand here and, and preach the word of God is by God's grace and by God's grace alone. But if I take that further, the reality is the only reason I can live, move, or breathe even this morning is by God's grace and God's grace alone. You see, every day God extends to us an invitation. He extends to us this welcoming invitation to, to come to him, to live in his strength. He wants to carry us through his strength. Every day he reaches out to us, and every day we must learn to acknowledge that and live in that if we're, we're going to be people that are not overcome by pride. And even though we know that, even though we can attest to that, and some of you are already ready to say amen, it's so easy to slip back into the fleshly ways, even though we are born again in the Spirit. 
It's so easy to just pick that mantle back up and, and start depending solely on what you know, what you've experienced, who you are, your gifts, your talents, whatever, and, and forgetting God. And, and it shows up mostly really in our prayer life. When we just acknowledge him, thank you, God, for this food. Help me not die today. I'll see you later. And yet we enter into meetings, we enter into relationships, we enter into opportunities that either God has for us or may absolutely be the path to our own destruction. And in our pride, we will miss it. In our pride, we will say, God, we've got it. And when we do that, we miss out on his best for our lives. And according to the verse we read out of Proverbs, every time we do that, we're setting ourselves up for destruction. I love this prayer a, a pastor friend of mine wrote. I, I, was, I got to read it in some of his writings, and I got I to put this out here. And what a prayer for us. It says, God, the events of this day are beyond me. The sun will only rise because you say it will. So by your power and mercy this day, I'll listen for your voice and do your will. I will serve you wholeheartedly with the power you give me and only with that power. This day is of you and for you. I am your servant. You lead, I will follow. Amen. What a powerful prayer. It's not just throwing it out there like, God, I've got to get here. I've got to do that. I'm going to do this. It's saying, God, you alone made the sun rise today. So, God, why would I think I know better than you of how this day is going to go? God, God, you, you, you made me when I woke up and I, I took that breath, God. I, I realized eternity is in me, not because of anything I've done, but because of all of who you are. You see, before we look for ways to, to really kind of get into this and, and look at how pride shows up, Let's remind ourselves of something very basic about Christians, something very basic about followers of Christ that help us understand why pride cannot lead in our lives. And that is simply this. God has called every one of us, you and I, to a life of service that is beyond our own strength. Let me, let me label it a little differently because this is where people get worded out. God has called you and I into a life of ministry that is beyond our strength. Oh, maybe your ministry is being salt and light in, in corporate America. How many know that's an amazing ministry? Your ministry may be caring for your children, raising up a generation that will know our God and become Christ followers. Your ministry may be living with a difficult spouse in the hope of them turning their hearts to God someday and honoring the God you love. Your ministry may be caring for elderly parents and you wonder if you have the strength to do that. It may be leading a small group. It may be teaching a class in Hope Kids. It may be caring for a child in the nursery so that her mom and dad can sleep through a sermon if they have to. <laughs> or maybe hear it and be blessed. And the reality is, whatever your ministry is, you can't do it in your own strength. Oh, you can, and we do. But can I tell you what happens? When we do, we can only go as far as our own gifts will carry us. And ultimately, it will fail. And ultimately, you will burn out in the process. And ultimately, you will leave others disillusioned in your God when you try to carry everything out in your own strength. So we got to recognize. we got to recognize a total dependency upon God. we got to recognize a total dependency upon Him and enjoy the freedom it brings. Because I tell you, when you get that in ministry, it brings some great freedom. When you recognize it's not based on your strength or your talent or your abilities, what happens is this. It opens you up to recognize the possibilities of what God can do when you let God be center stage. And how many know he can do above and beyond what we can ask or imagine? 
It also opens you up to understand we confess our need of God. It gives us full assurance that he is in control. And where God guides, he provides. Amen? And where God guides, he is there. Where God guides, his strength is made evident when we come and confess our dependency upon him. But you know, it's, it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to do that. Because when you read God's word, you recognize that, that God does gift us. When you read God's word, you recognize God gives us attributes and strengths. He puts them in us before we were even born because he knows the days he wants us to carry out on this earth. And it it brings us to this moment where it's really kind of paradoxical, but yet so much in the Bible is paradoxical. The first will be last. If you want to be greatest, be servant of all. There's all these rhythms we have to walk through that make it hard to be fully submitted to God because think about it God calls on one hand to be to be capable but also to be powerless to be confident but to be humble in our own assessment of our own righteousness and our own abilities we see the danger of pride and most often we think about it this way it's the sin of thinking too much of ourselves right but can I tell you pride also is the sin of thinking too little of ourselves at the same time because we've been made in God's image We've been filled by the power of his Holy Spirit. God places vision in us. God gives us capabilities, but he wants us to carry them out, understanding this and this alone, and that is that it's only through his strength that anything is accomplished that lasts for eternity. You see, God never wants us to view ourselves as worthless, incompetent, or inept. I, I, the old, oh, that old mindset of, well, I'm just a worm. God saved me. Hope I make it to heaven. Now, you're a child of God. You've been made in his image. You've been raised from death to life. God puts gifts and spirits, gifts and the spirit of God in you. Why? Because he created you for a purpose that's not just to get to heaven. So we know that. We understand that. We are capable when we recognize that our capabilities or our strengths are only found when we see our identity solely in him and not in our heritage, our education, or our background. You see, the Bible tells me this. It tells me in 2 Corinthians that you and I are children of the king. How's that for a title? Man, put that on a placard outside of your wall at the office. I'm a child of the king. Who's the king? Let me tell you about him. We are a chosen people, according to 1 Peter 2, 9, a royal priesthood. There is something God has raised us up for. According to Romans 8, 17, we're holy and dearly loved heirs of God. And, oh, by the way, we can do all things through Christ who, what? Help me out here. Strengthens me. You see, at the same time, we are capable because our identity is in him, but yet we are truly powerless to accomplish anything that lasts for eternity. Because it's always God who acts in us. It's always God who works through us according to the counsel of his will. Check it out in Ephesians 1. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose. He is working out in everything and everyone. There's that word sovereignty that is powerful. It means simply this. God is going to carry out his will in you, through you, with you, or over you. Either way, he's still doing it. But you have a choice whether to make yourself available and say, oh, God, use me. God, I don't have a nuts to offer, God, but you've wired me certain ways, God. So, God, use me to you be the glory and honor. 
It's this tension. It's this tension between what God has put in us, the, the capabilities we have, and the understanding that we have to rely solely on him. It's what Paul struggled with. You remember Paul was this educated, incredible theologian. He was, he was raised the best of the best. He had been studying in the, in the best universities. And in Philippians 3, he goes through this process where he's being facetious in some way, but he begins to list out all of his things. Oh, I, I've done this, and I'm from this tribe, and from this family. I've got this degree. And it's like, you know, when you go into somebody's office, and it's just full of the trophies and the degrees, right? He's, he's got them all laid out there. He says, look, if it comes to capability, I've got it. But then he says this in chapter 3, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And for those Greeks, theologians among us, that word garbage is being nice in the NIV. He says it's worthless. But yet, he's the same guy in 1 Corinthians, it said, follow my example as I follow Christ. You see this tension. He says, on one hand, everything, it doesn't matter. It's, it's worthless, but God has made me capable, but I recognize I'm only strong when I'm weak. I'm only strong when I allow God to work through me. He was confident and humble at the same time. He wasn't sitting around with all this self-doubt. He wasn't sitting around with this insecurity. He wasn't always desperately seeking out God, somehow trying to prove that God loved him. He was confident. But his confidence came out of surrender, saying, God, you and you alone are worthy of praise. Now, one of his fellow apostles struggled with pride. He's probably one of our best examples in the word of what not to do certain times, even though we elevate him greatly and we ought to. And his name was Peter. How many like Peter in the Bible, right? You, you kind of relate to Peter because he's always doing stuff you probably figured you would. That's what I, I love reading about Peter. I'm like, yeah, I'd probably done that. But really, if we see his life... It's, it's a great example of one of the areas of pride we have to be careful of, and that is trusting in our own strength. If you remember the Last Supper, and we're going to be celebrating communion at the end of the day, at the Last Supper was Jesus was, had prayed over and distributed the bread and the wine. You know, you would think they'd all be like, oh, kumbaya moment. No, a fight broke out among the disciples. They were arguing among themselves as to who was going to be the greatest. And when as they did that, Jesus stepped into that argument. He set the matter straight. And then he turned to Peter and he said something to Peter that, that I mean, you, may, you may not have devotionally read recently, but, but check it out. In Luke 22, it says this. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Boy, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? I mean, here on one hand, they're arguing who's going to sit on the right and the left. They're arguing who's the strongest, who's the greatest. And he says, hey, Satan wants to sift you. And he gives this indication that, it, by the way, I'm allowing it. Because when you return, strengthen your brothers. You see, Jesus predicted that Peter's pride was, was going to be humbled, and Peter tried to dispute it, because here's what he said to Jesus. He replied in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready, to go to, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. He didn't get it. Here, here Jesus was trying to show Peter, look, there's something in your life that's leading to destruction. I'm telling you, I'm going to try to help you out here. And Peter privately says, no, Lord, that's not going to happen. So the Lord tells Peter exactly what is going to happen. In verse 34, he answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And here's Peter. He's obviously committed follower of Christ. He's obviously all in, yet, yet Satan asks to oppress him. 
And the understanding here is Jesus allowed it to happen. Now, I want to give a caveat real fast to be on the screen because I don't want to mess up your theology this morning, but understand this. God allows Satan to tempt us only within certain limits and not without God's permission. The devil is not free to do whatever he wants in God's people. Do you understand that? He, he doesn't have free reign, but I tell you, the Bible warns us often that there are doors we open. There are doors we open that allow oppression into our lives, and one of the greatest is pride. You see, Peter was being warned by Jesus to watch out. He'd left a door in his life open to spiritual oppression, and Satan knew he could walk through that door. And yet it was something that wasn't just in the moment. It happened again and again in Peter's life. Mark's gospel puts a little clearer picture to it. In Mark 14, 27, Jesus said this. He said, look to the disciples, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Let's put it in current terms. Jesus, I don't know about the rest of these turkeys, but I'm not going to fail you. Jesus, I, they may all fall away, but I, I'm going to die for you. He was, just, he was saying he's all in. It was this prideful statement. You hear the arrogance in it. And what he was saying was, I'm stronger than everybody else. I trust my own strength. And Jesus, again, predicts he's going to deny him three times. It's a pattern. It's a pattern we see in ourselves. It's a pattern we see in Peter. In Matthew's Gospel 16, there was another time that Jesus was explaining to his disciples he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. But Peter took him aside and, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I don't know about you. You have to have a pretty high arrogance to rebuke Jesus, agreed? I mean, he rebuked him. This is not happening. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me what? Oh, man, talk about a bad day. It's not that he forgot his name like we forget our kids' names. No, he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Here, Jesus looked right at his disciple, and he addressed Satan. And scholars will debate all day long whether, whether Satan was in Peter, on Peter, around Peter, or influencing Peter. But either way, the passage is clear. Peter was open to being deceived because of the pride that was in his spirit. But Peter wasn't done yet. That's why I love Peter. He just doesn't stop. Because even after the Lord's Supper, and remember Jesus prayed with them, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there was going to be that moment where Jesus said, would you just pray with me all night? And, and the Lord struggled over what was about to take place. And all of a sudden, the, the, the mob the, that shows up to arrest Jesus, they get there, and Peter decides he's going to be a one-man army. And he goes out and he tries to defend Jesus from the very thing Jesus said is going to happen. And ultimately he fails, even though he sliced off the ear of Malchus and caused Jesus to do one more miracle before the cross. You see, the pattern was there. And you can look at that and say, well, Mike, you know, we don't have that problem. But can I tell you, that pattern is in so many of us. This pattern of insistence and yet denial that goes on and on and on, it's not uncommon. You see, many fall for the trap of trusting in their own strength, even though they've walked with the Lord a long time. And it usually manifests itself in this. It usually manifests itself in comparisons with others. And you really see it when someone, another brother or sister in Christ, fails. And you have these statements like, oh, I would never do that. I can't believe they were that weak. What's wrong with them? See, we do it, our, we do it the same. We, we sometimes even take pleasure 
when others fail. Because somehow it proves that we're stronger than. And we do that. We're setting ourselves up, not for a little fall, we're setting ourselves up for destruction. That's why in 1 Corinthians, we read, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. See, I think the season we are in as the church of America is a very dangerous season. I think it's very fraught with pride. I think it's, it's very, if we're not careful, putting ourselves in a place that is not healthy, but actually is going against the very things of God. Because in, in our pride that we are strong enough, then, then what we do is this. We get into a time where we are being tempted. We're, we're going through a hard time as a family. We're, we're needing the body of Christ. But instead of pushing into it, what do we do? We isolate. And I'm going to tell you, that's pride. I'll figure it out. I've got it. I don't need you. You see, better together is not a cute slogan. It's a biblical concept that helps us fight pride. Because iron sharpens iron. It helps us. We build each other up. We hold each other accountable. Oh, we might be holy enough to actually call out sin and say, brother, don't go there because I I don't want to see you destroyed. Instead of saying, it's none of my business. And then when they hit the wall going, oh, I would have never done what he did. Come on. You see, to overcome this type of pride, we've got to learn to trust, it, not on our own strength, but if it really build that habit up of, of totally relying on God. Yes, I'm capable. Yes, I'm gifted. Yes, I'm educated. But I must emphasize the correct side of the verse in Philippians 4. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I try to remind myself daily my prayers. It's something I try to bring in my prayers every day. It's out of Acts 17, 28. And it says, for in him we live and move and have our being. God, today I'm alive because you want me alive. God, today I get to be the pastor of this church because you want me to be the pastor of this church. God, today I get to love Denise because God, you made me to love Denise. God, in you I live and move and have my being. Pride comes before destruction. It leaves the door open to, to our lives to Satan who loves to walk through those doors and oppress us. Now, there, there's another example. We're going to wrap up with him today. And it's one is it's pride in our own strength. But here's the second thing I see in the body of Christ quite often, and that is this. And that is trusting in our own righteousness. Trusting in our own righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, we quoted or misquoted all the time. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And you say, that's right, Pastor. We love to quote it and we state, of course, we don't trust in our own righteousness. We trust in grace. Or do we? Or do we? There's a man named Job. I know that probably is not the book you've read recently in the Scripture. Man named Job, he's another man in the Bible that, that records Satan asked to oppress him. And, and, and God describes Job as seemingly having it all together. And yet if you understand Job and you understand the end of Job, you, you almost see a picture of a harsh God. But let me explain what God did in the book of Job. In Job 1.8 it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? I don't want ever God, I don't want God today to ever say to Satan, Have you considered my servant Mike? It's okay. Let me be obscure out of your sight. I mean, I know you're with me, but don't, let's don't do this, okay? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan argued that Job was only seen this way because of God's blessing on everything he did, even upon his health. And when these things were taken away, Job didn't sin with what he said, 
but he showed something by what he said that points me to this understanding that we've got to be careful not to have pride in our own righteousness. Follow me. You see, God was exposing a pride in which Job actually thought too highly of himself. If you know the story, after the great destruction of things that took place against his family, his body, and all that, some very good friends showed up to counsel Job. Friends that we all have and friends that we get out of our lives quickly. Because they were there to show Job that surely it was all his fault. And they accused him over and over and over again of committing some gross sin because that's the only way this could have happened. But finally, when the third friend, the youngest friend, Elihu, spoke, he exposed this open door. He exposed something that, that was there in Job that, again, uh, it, it makes sense once you understand this. And that is, he exposed this door which Satan walked in. Check it out, Job 33, verses 8 and 9. But you have said in my hearing, he's speaking about Job, I've heard these very words. I am pure. I have done nothing wrong. I am clean and free from sin. Here's Job believing he was righteous because of his lifestyle, not because of the righteous God he worshiped. And for 31 chapters, for 31 chapters, Job is saying, compare me to anybody. Show me an example. I'll prove to you I'm better than them all. I, the righteousness I have is there. And for 31 chapters, again and again and again, he's saying, I'm the good guy here. I'm righteous. But although he lived an upright life, he failed to understand that his righteousness was because of God, and he failed to give God credit. We can fall into that same trap. We say to God and others, well, I've never done this or I've never done that, so me and God are good. In fact, I'm one of his better kids and, and not like those who need to go to the altar and repent every once in a while because I've learned to play the game. I've learned to say the right things and not say the wrong things. I've learned to go to the right places and stay away from the wrong places. I've learned to, to walk this life with Christ out in my own ability to control, and yet I miss the point that the only righteousness I have is the righteousness that comes from Christ and his blood that was shed on Calvary. You see, we are not righteous because of what we do or what we avoid. We are righteous because of what Christ did and our faith in him. Whenever we think otherwise, that's pride and basically puts us in a position of, of claiming to be God. But he alone is perfect, not us. Now, the end of Job makes sense when you understand this. The end of Job, I never could. I wrestled with this. When even my, my first uh, assignment in my master's program was to write a paper on Job. And I'm like, I don't know. I just don't like it. Because God does something at the end that I would never want to be dealing with God this way. See, the end of Job makes sense when we understand we're dealing with the pride over righteousness. Because when God had enough of Job's self-righteous attempt to defend himself, he asked Job a series of questions. Where were you, Job 38, verse 4? Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And he goes on for four chapters of asking Job things like, does lightning come from your throne or ask you where to strike? Did you teach the eagles how to fly, Job? Please tell me if you've done that. Yeah, you don't answer God in any of that. You just... And finally, in Job 42, Job said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you, you'll answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. See, Job came to a census. The destruction that was going to bear on him was more than he could even imagine. 
Pride was so built up, God gained his attention to show us this. And we've got a lot of thank you to Job when we get to heaven because it shows us this danger of somehow placing faith in our own righteousness. That somehow we're one of God's, one of God's good kids or we're one of his special kids or, or somehow we have more than others. You see, guys, it's easy to buy into a Christian culture and live what appears to be a righteous life. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good way of living. But if Christ is not in the center of it, it's hypocrisy. It's just acting. And oh, maybe you'll get to the end of your life and you didn't have a lot of bad habits and all that. That's great. But that gives me an understanding why Jesus would say to someone that came in that last day and said, Jesus, Jesus, didn't we do this for you and we did that for you? And he goes, I never knew you. I never knew you. You carried out a religious life without me. You depended on your own strength and your own righteousness. You see, the only solution is to repent. Choose a habit of repentance. Acknowledge our righteousness found in God alone. Because whenever we enter into that sin of pride, can I tell you, we're opening the door. We're opening the door to the enemy. We're opening the door to Satan to come in. And, and if God gives permission to, to oppress us the same way he allowed Simon Peter to be sifted like wheat, and we ask ourselves, well, God, why would you do that? Why would you let Peter go through this? Why would you let Job go through this? Can I tell you, there's only one answer to that. Because God does love us. Sometimes how he loves us is not the way we want to be loved. It's clear that our pride, which is really the root of our sin, leads to destruction. And God, who's a good father, chooses to discipline us instead of letting us take the full hit of destruction. Hebrews 12, 6, because the Lord disciplines the one he's mad at. No. The Lord disciplines the ones that think they have it all together. No, he disciplines those that he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Think about it this way. If we are living in self-righteous pride, if we're living in uh, uh, an acknowledgement of our own strength is what we rely on, it's kind of like strolling out in the front of an oncoming bus. And God in his great love for us comes and knocks us out of the way of the oncoming bus and we hit the ground and we tear up our skin. We may break a bone. We may, we may be bleeding all over the place. And yet we have to recognize that's better than the bus hitting us full on. Because pride comes before destruction. But God loves us. And he knows us. And he sees we're in danger. And he steps in that place. Why? Because he wants to keep us from going down the path of destruction. Peter and Job both experienced that. They repented of their pride. And the result was Peter. Now, we, we joke about Peter, but he was one of the preeminent apostles. That we elevate up to this place of understanding what a man of faith, even a martyr for God. We see Job having everything restored and even doubled because of his repentance of saying, God, I'm sorry. Now, I know this topic, and on my calendar, I kind of circled like, God, I don't want to preach about pride. It's hard. It's this very, very thin line, isn't it? God, I'm capable. God, I'm powerless. God, I'm confident, but I'm humble. God, I'm strong, but you say I'm weak. So let me give you some hope today. When you think through this, it's almost overwhelming. Some of you right now almost hear the sound of the bus coming. You're like, I haven't done. But let me emphasize the work of God in this. 
See, God always loves us, and the real work of life change always comes from Him. You don't make yourself righteous. You don't clean yourself up. How many times have I been told that? Preacher, East Carolina, preacher, I can't come to your church because I got all these bad habits, and I, I don't think right, and I, I'm like... You have no understanding what the church is then. Because we don't clean ourselves to come in. We come in and God says, let me show you what I do. When you put your faith and your trust in me. See, God always loves us and that real work comes from him. Yes, he works with our consent. And yes, there's some things we need to do. We need to learn to live in repentance. Repentance isn't a one-time deal. I don't know about you. Every day, we miss the mark. So often we fall short. And repentance is just coming back to God saying, God, again, thank you. I repent of my pride. I repent of all this, God. Yes, we need to obey his commandments. We need to obey his voice. We need to consent to his leadership in our lives. We have this childlike trust. Can I tell you, one of the greatest ways we overcome pride is serving. Serving in obscurity. Not serving to be seen, but just serving. But understand this, the work of cleansing, the work of breaking the power of pride, the work of, of coming through force is not within our own abilities. It only comes by our trust in God. It only comes when we put our life before him and say, God, I repent. You see, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of anything, but especially pride, run to God. Run to God. Don't walk. Don't show up late. Don't kind of come in like we do to worship. Come to God. Run to him say, God, I need you. God, I can't live without you. Forgive me. Father, today I praise you. God, I thank you, Lord, that God, your scripture, your word, God, is a comfort to us. God, it's a, it's a lamp, it's a light, God, it, it makes the way clear to us. God, I'm thankful, Lord, God, that, Lord, you have saved us by grace you've given us all that we need through Christ Jesus and Lord you know us so well God that Lord you throw these warnings out God in scripture that Lord we can breeze by and make them into old wives tales or fables or or just Christian slogans God but yet we need to pay attention because God there's a real enemy Lord you made us aware of that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Lord, we serve one who's greater. And God, our faith is in you who is greater. God, our trust is in you who is greater. And God, today we come to you. God, we come to you. And Father, I pray you'll draw us to yourself in this moment. God, I pray that, Lord, if we are struggling with pride, God, you'll help us to not only identify in our lives, God, but to lay it down. God, to lay it down before you, God, and to repent. Lord, where we rely on our own strength, oh God, let us turn to you. Where, God, we think we got it all figured out and all working within our control, God, let us release that control to you. God, where we battle, God, with the thinking that somehow it's all on us, God, let us release that to you because you are good. You are faithful. You're our God. So, Lord, as we prepare our hearts today, God, to 
even come in this place of communion, God, this place of celebrating the Lord's Supper, that, God, we would not be like your disciples and somehow on the side be struggling with our own greatness or our own strength, God, but, Lord, we would come humbly to you, God, today and celebrate that you've done everything. God, you've done everything. God, we owe our lives to you.